Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Sarah, welcome to the show. This is such an honor to have you here today. Oh, thanks, Beth. It's so great to be here with you. Thank you. Now, this is a series I'm doing where I'm having authors come on the show and share about their books and really the content behind it, their passion. Um, so this is just such an honor for me because I read your book a couple of years ago. And when I read it, I was like, this is a book that every teacher, even if they've had no experience working with ELL students, they need to get this in their hands. They need to read it because it is so helpful. It's just so practical, but there's a lot of depth to it too. That just really helps us as teachers understand how we can better support our English language learners. So we're going to get to into that in a second. First, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background and what you're up to now, because you're doing some really exciting stuff. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I'd love to. So yeah, I started out as a content teacher. I never anticipated getting into ESL. I didn't even know what that was. I started out as a third and fourth grade classroom teacher, Beth. And then um, a lot of my students, in, I was in a bilingual school, but I was in a monolingual classroom and a lot of my students were multilingual learners, yes. um, many from the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, and Mexico. And it really sparked my interest around, wow, I want to know another language too. <laughs> <laughs> so there started my voluntary language learner journey, where of course our students are not opting in to English, <laughs> but I could opt into Spanish. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know that's something we have in common because I know you live in Central America, but I yeah. uh, dipped my toe into the world of living internationally for a couple of years. The place I lived was Puerto Rico. People say, oh, it's part of the U.S. Yeah, it is. And it isn't, especially if yeah. you live in rural Puerto Rico. Yeah. As I like to say, the English bubble that I 
that I taught in, in the private school where I was at. But at any rate, that really catapulted me to the field of English as a second language and bilingual education. Mm. So from there on out, I worked as a dual language teacher, bioliteracy coach, reading specialist, EL specialist, EL teacher, really looking at the whole system level and getting interested in what's going on K-5 and in some cases, even pre-K-5 and districts where I worked, um, just kind of moved up in leadership positions. And fast forward here over 20 years later, I decided to start Confianza about eight years ago because I could see that schools, organizations, universities really needed flexibility Mm. with a partner who could understand the needs of language and culture in classrooms. Wow. And I mean, the work you're doing is just incredible and so, so needed to really impact, you know, from the top down and from the bottom up, you're kind of going both ways of really helping teachers, but also helping faculties and and universities and, and school-wide types of initiatives. I love, I love that you're taking your experience that you had of living abroad. And I'm sure a lot of it was similar to mine of just really having an understanding, a a very simple understanding of what many of our students experience of all of a sudden when you're in a a foreign speaking country and you're feeling that tension, that awkwardness, the the anxiety, the fear. I mean, I never experienced that until I left and, and then Mm -hmm. stepping into that, you're like, wow, okay, let me approach my students in a different way because this is really tough to enter. And like you're saying, not always by their choice of wanting to learn the language, but really being forced to. So how can we create that environment that really helps them soar and succeed and be bilingual or trilingual? I mean, these children are just incredible. So (laughs) dual language, biliteracy, those are my things. So (laughs) I see the beauty of it. All right. So you wrote a book. How many years ago now is this the, the yeah. first edition come out? <laughs> well, it was um, released not too far before the pandemic hit. Okay. So 2019, around this time, spring of 2019, spring, summer. Thank you for your uh, shout out. About- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say it multiple times because if you're listening and you haven't read this, or if you're listening and you have, but you're looking for a book to really help support all the homeroom teachers in your school. I know a lot of our listeners might be a coach or something like that. And so they're trying to find a book. This is it for you because it's really easy to read and it's a great book. So let's talk about it. It's called The Language Lens for Content Classrooms, a guide for K through 12 teachers of English and academic language learners. I mean, so how do you, let's talk about the language lens. Let's just start there. And why don't you share a little bit about this approach of, you know, looking at the language lens, what that means and how that really transforms the way that you approach your students. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, I had these formative experiences as a young teacher that put myself in students' shoes. I mean, you can never fully walk in anyone's shoes, but sort of that empathy building piece. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, gosh, I wish I would have known that (laughs) or had had those experiences as a beginning teacher, uh, as a classroom teacher. And even went on before I started Confianza to do teacher prep programs and work at the university level. And I realized, We can talk all day about the academic pieces of being a language learner and in a different culture and a different language, or even like most of our ELLs in the U.S. being born in the U.S., but still being bicultural and being between two spaces and so forth. We can talk all day about that on an intellectual level. Language Lens is really about trying to build that empathy and trying to take those perspectives so that we're enacting one of my favorite words, confianza. Yeah. <laughs> which is the name of my company too, but it's mutual respect and trust. And that's a yeah. word that I learned when I was teaching in Latin America, Bath, because I thought, 
ooh, I don't know that word in English. It doesn't really exist, but yeah. it's like confiar, right? Confiar, confidence, but it's like, we need to have respect in our students and they need to have respect in us, but respect goes both ways. Yeah. It's not something that we can fully understand, but we can try to understand where they're coming from. Yes. You know what? I love that definition because I, I know what the word is. And you know, when you finally get to a point where you can understand another language and so you don't translate it. So I think, oh yeah, confianza, trust. But I love that of just that mutual, because really there's not that word that translates into English. So I love that of of that really defining what the work that you're doing is building that mutual respect and empathy. And it is so true that we need to, as teachers, really, you know, take that place of humility and empathy and take the time to really learn the students that are in our class. Um, because I agree hundred percent, you know, we could talk about theories and the academic side of it, but I always say, there's no sense in trying all these strategies because if you haven't built the trust, then they're not, it doesn't matter. You know, they're not going to be willing to take the risks that's needed to learn a language. If you haven't spent the time building that trust and showing them, this is a really safe place for you to take risks. Um, so, you know, something in your book that I feel like I've read a lot of books that are geared towards teaching multilingual learners and something that stood out from yours that I was like, this is why are we not all talking about this <laughs> is the fact that you mentioned every teacher is a language teacher and you really hit on how all of our students are academic language learners. And to me, I felt like this is what we need to really hone in with our homeroom teachers who might not have the experience of working with multilingual learners where they all of a sudden kind of put up and say, you know, I don't know that that's your expertise, but at the end of the day, all of our students are academic language learners, which you hit on. So let's go a little more in depth. Can you share a little bit more about that concept? Every teacher is a language teacher and yeah, share more about that. Yeah. So, you know, we're all using language to teach whatever content we're teaching, including if you're teaching ESL or you know, ESOL or whatever your state yeah. calls it. Um, but also if you're a chemistry teacher, if you're teaching kindergarten, if you're teaching, you know, algebra, if you're teaching health, consumer education, visual arts, anything that we're teaching and expecting our students to learn is delivered through language. Yep. And then students demonstrate their knowledge and depth of understanding of it through language. And by language, I mean, speaking, reading, writing, listening. It's it's really that simple. A lot of people think, oh, but I, I do have my students speak in class and I do have my students do you know listening and I do have them do reading and writing in my class and I am a content teacher. So yes, we do that, but are we doing it intentionally? Yes. So the language lens is really about kind of not adding on, but just being intentional about planning, teaching, and assessing, attending to the language that students are both inputting and also able to express. What's interesting about our multilingual population as you know, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners experience, is that they're often siloed. Mm. So what do I mean by that? I mean, well, these students are with that, that teacher. They're with the ESL teacher sort of all day long or for 30 minutes a day, whatever the class period is. But what really comes down to is they're all our students. Mm -hmm. I sort of look at it like special education. I am the oldest of for, uh, for kids in my family and the youngest has significant special needs. And I grew mm. up watching mm. that experience in schools and it really shaped my view, Beth, as a 
as a soon to be educator, but also as an advocate to say, it's not enough just for the special ed teacher or the ESL teacher or whomever that specialist is to just own the responsibility for that student. Absolutely. Yes, people have special skills. However, they're with the general education teachers most yes. of the day. Yep. And they deserve to feel part of the community and also have access to what's being taught. Yes, 100% agree. And that's, you know, we just finished a podcast series on small steps to take. And it was really kind of hitting on that. Like if school-wide, you know, if everybody can take a small step that's going to help support the, the multilingual learners, it's going to make a big difference. You know, if the secretary at the front desk is able to give the parents a a page with visuals and a translation of what they have to do, that's going to make such a huge difference. So I, I love that you're saying it's not adding on more. It's really just critically looking at the approach that we're doing and saying, are we intentionally providing, you know, the support they need to be able to understand this and, um, apply what they're learning and respond with what we're giving them, you know? And so I think that's, what's really fun to work with, with teachers who are working with multilingual learners is when you show them some of these ways that it's like, you know what, you're doing a lot of this already. It might just be tweaking it here and there. Um, and they see, wow, this actually helps all my students (laughs) when we, you know, when we teach with our ELLs in mind, like all of our students need visual support. Like that's not going to hurt any student to have a visual support. So it's fun to kind of see those light bulbs happen when they realize, wow, this actually is making my teaching a lot better for all my students. Um, so let's talk about that. Can you share some practical tips or activities that teachers can support that can help the language learners in their classroom? Absolutely. And I think you just prefaced it really well for me, Beth. So thank you for hitting that, which is think about your whole classroom. Think about tier one, think about universal instruction, however your school district state calls it. We often think, oh, but these students maybe have a handful of multilingual learners at different levels, different language backgrounds, or even the same language backgrounds. We often think those students need accommodations. Okay, but let's let's first start with what could impact all students. It's kind of how I think about it. We're all language learners. As I mentioned before, we're teaching the language of whatever content area we're we're in as educators. However, if we bring intentional speaking and listening activities to get students to actually have equity of voice and share their thinking and have opinions and learn how to collaborate, we're actually going to impact all of our students. They need that anyways, as well as as a literacy specialist too, I get really excited about close reading and analyzing mentor text and writing like a scientist or writing like a mathematician, that's going to be great for all students. And really, whatever state you're listening to this from, or even if you're in an international space Mm -hmm. as an educator, you probably have standards that need to be taught to all students Mm -hmm. for listening and speaking and reading and writing across the curriculum. So that's kind of where I start as a general educator first, an instructional leader for all students first is say, what is it that can sort of be the high tide that lifts all boats? I love that. Right. So let's start with that, the universal design, the universal instruction. And one really great place to start is really tracking your student talk versus your teacher talk. I always start with that, with principals, with teachers. And I open it up too. I say, okay, if I've been teaching this workshop with you and I've been talking for 20 minutes and it's only been 25 minutes, I'm talking too much. Yeah, <laughs> A yeah. mini lesson should just be that, 
right? If you have a 45-minute class period, for example, or a 45-minute workshop, same with adult learners, break it up. Chunk and chew is what I talk about. I love that. Right? Give the time, give the brain time to process, um, which again is great for all learners, but particularly for our multilingual learners, they need that brain space to make those neural connections and even translate and or process with a peer. Yes. In order to be successful with the content. Absolutely. I love, I love that of, you know, just starting so simple of seeing how much time are you talking compared to your students? <laughs> if, you know, I, I share my story a lot because I took 10 years of Spanish in the States, have a minor in it. I have my bilingual certificate and then I moved abroad and I realized, wow, I really can't speak Spanish. So here I go learning all over again. I've had 10 years of Spanish in Panama and it's amazing how, if we don't give our students that space and the time to apply and speak, you know, with a peer, with something very simple, we're not saying put them in front of the, the whole class and, and share, that's not appropriate, but to do a simple turn and talk in the midst of your teaching so that they can try to apply the words they're hearing, that is so beneficial to their language learning. If they go the whole year and barely speak, their progress is going to be so minimal. Um, the same with, you know, I've done, I've been tutoring a small group and giving them a chance to talk with each other in Spanish first about what we're doing has helped them to really then apply the English because they had the opportunity to be talking and discussing in their native language. So I think those small ways that you're saying are so helpful and aren't adding a lot on. I love that. What else? What else do you have for us? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're just getting into it. So making sure that students can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And and I think that you, again, you talked about that just now, Beth, is we often think, oh, we have to transmit all this information. Well, we're moving into a different way of educating. And by the way, the old way didn't really work for everyone anyways. I mean, (laughs) I might've succeeded in a sit and get environment, but if I'm really honest with myself, how much of that do I really remember? So your Spanish example, learning Spanish in high school is a great example of that. We may have been taught another language, but it's not until we actually use it and apply it and grapple with it and struggle with it and have those emotional, you know, experiences, whether it be flow, like I'm, I don't even have to translate in my head. I'm having a great experience in this, or I have to cognitively, you know, make those connections. And in either case, we want students to love learning. And I think peer learning is a really great way to get there. So making it, it's not just about, am I covering content? But what do my students need? How can I connect with them? How can I make those neural connections in their brain to what they know and what they're interested in? And most importantly, how can they work together to co-construct that knowledge? Mm Because learning is not an individual process. That's not the workplace we're setting them up for. We're a global community, as you well know. We're very connected. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to be able to work together and communicate. And that's what it's really all about. It's not always about memorization or recall. It's about loving to learn. And so I think, you know, any way that you can get kids in the driver's seat with each other and on their own self-assessed peer feedback, all those kinds of things are essential for motivating any student, but particularly students that are learning in a new or different language. Yes. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I just love everything. I want you to shout it louder so everyone can hear. And just thinking too, I think it's important to really reflect and look at the materials we're using, the books we're using in our classrooms. You know, I just think of these students who were were using these very, if if we're using a very American 
read aloud or something like that, that they can't relate to. But if we switch that up and we use, you know, there's so many amazing diverse reads these days. And so it's like bringing some of those in so that our American students can also learn about other cultures and see the beauty of this global community that we're teaching. Because there's nothing harder than being trying to relate to a text when you have no understanding or background about what's going on. But, you know, I, I've seen firsthand, it's like you you bring in a text or something the students are interested in or makes them, you know, reminds them of their culture and they light up instantly. They're going to quickly want to to engage with what's going on. Yes. And if I could just add to that, you know, I think in the States right now, a lot of education is under attack and it feels political to make those kinds of decisions that you're talking about, Beth. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not. I mean, it's actually just really a research-based practice of providing windows and mirrors through texts and tasks that reflect our diversity in our society. It's, It's about values. And if we value all students having the opportunity to learn, then we should feel like we can value our professional judgment to make those decisions to support our students. That's a great point. All right. So let's talk what, I mean, you've had years of experience, you know, on all different realms in education. So what advice would you give to teachers who are just starting their journey in supporting language learners in their classrooms? That's my avatar. You know, that's who I really wrote the book for was me when I was younger (laughs) and many of the teachers that I work with every day that are new to teaching or new to working with multilingual learners. I think both spaces are really important to recognize. It's okay to not know. And again, as we said at the top, it's not always about a laundry list of strategies. It's most importantly, do the kids know that you care? As I say in the book, you know, kids don't care what we know until they know that we care. Mm -hmm. So creating those relationships and if possible, trying to have some kind of bridge to them. One way to do that, even if you're in a community that speaks mostly English, is think back to experiences that you've had, maybe in a different area of the country where they have a different accent, or you have family from a different cultural region, even in the United States. Or better yet, go out to a neighboring town or city and go to the Spanish-speaking grocery store mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the Asian Mart. I mean, really think, okay, this is what my students are going through because that's part of the language lens is if you can't replicate it exactly, because again, we can't always, but we can try to build those bridges then I'm not going to worry about them getting every single thing that I'm trying to teach every student for mastery, but I hope that they can get the gist of it. I hope that they can A, feel welcomed in my class and feel part of the community and B, get the gist of what we're teaching in this unit or lesson so that we're not feeling bad about ourselves. That's the last thing we need is for educators to feel bad about themselves or to feel overwhelmed. So I always say, give yourself a break, you know, kind of trust yourself with that, start with that relationship piece and try to bring in that interactive learning so that you can walk out of that classroom at the end of the day and say, you know, I did the best I could for this student and they want to come back tomorrow. Yep, absolutely. And I think hitting on your point, you know, we're, what's our main goal is to create kids who love learning, because if that's, you know, if they're leaving our classroom with that, then they're going to be able to, with everything available, they're going to be able to learn so many things. So it's, it's keeping that, that spark alive for learning. And that, yeah, that's a really important note to not, to give yourself grace teachers. You all are doing an amazing job. So you are coming out with a second edition of 
your language lens book. Why don't you share more about that? I would love to. And I will just add, this connects to the last question and your current question, which is feel free to make lots of mistakes learning a greeting in your students' languages. Mm. And I do talk about that in the book. So there's a lot of new content in the book as over 30% new content than what was in the first book. I've updated it with lessons learned from COVID, sort of the students not speaking as much as they even were before COVID because of all the Zoom learning and, and things that interrupted, you know, interrupted our schooling, never mind the health issues and overrepresentation of COVID cases for students of color, most of whom are in the language learner demographic in the US, but also really giving more examples from my own teaching experience. I think that's what I've heard a lot of readers have liked about the first book, Beth, is like, yeah. I'm not trying away from the mistakes I made and students yeah. that taught me this, or, well, oh, I wish I could go back and do this again with this student. So to really try to model that vulnerability that we can have as teachers that are new working with multilingual learners, and then give examples. Like what, that's one new piece of content in the book is a chart that's similar to the one I always did with my students, which is you know, hello, how are you? My name is, or, or whatever common greetings or social language you want to have in the top five languages in my classroom mm. and have the students and families help. And it's hilarious, you know, when you when you can't say a certain sound in another language, kids yeah. love it. They get to be yeah. the teacher. So it's those little things, right? And just giving more ideas and tips like that. Um, but then also, you know, as I did in the first book, making sure that people don't leave thinking, I have to do all these things, because it's not about that. It's about a polisher. You know, what's one or two things that I can work on right now, or better yet, that I'm already doing, that validate what I'm doing, that maybe I could do deeper. Hmm. The other thing that's new that I'll just talk about briefly is a whole strand in there for instructional leaders, because hmm. that's the work that I do every day is... Yeah not just doing work with teachers. I love you teachers, you're my lifeblood. However, <laughs> we don't get very far in yeah. terms of school-wide change if we don't have leaders leading the parade. Yeah. And that means principals, assistant principals, district directors, state directors, of course, those in the middle that are more instructional coaches, coordinators, deans, things like that. So in the new book, there's a whole strand. That means there's a whole piece at the end of every chapter that talks about what does this really mean and what could you do as mm. an instructional leader to make this not just about one classroom. If you're lucky enough to have a leader or coach that could work with you on this book or bring it to your staff, you know, that's my my big goal is systems change. Absolutely. Oh, we appreciate the work that you're doing because that it's true. I mean, I talk to many teachers inside my membership and and they are doing everything they can to advocate and really help support the students and the families that they're working with, but but really coming up against a brick wall when it comes to the whole school-wide support system and the administration and the decisions they're making. So your work is so critical. So thank you for doing that. And I love that you put that piece in there because, you know, I think it is that we can, as teachers read this and be like, this is great. But I think bringing in that, that common language between coaches or administrators or you know, just those in district decision-making roles, then it really helps to bring those common languages in the discussion and really helps people make take action of what they want for their students, for their school, what's best for their school and get on the same page. So I love, love that you added that piece in and adding in more examples. So <laughs> I do love that about your book too. So tell us, where can we find out more? Where can people get the new book um, and, and find out more about things that you're doing with Confianza? 
Well, great. Yeah, please visit us at ellstudents.com. You might think ELL means English language learner, but for us, it means equity, language and literacy. Oh, I love it. But it's an easy to remember website. So ellstudents.com, you can sign up for our mailing list. You can see the books on the homepage. We have a free article collection of practitioners who are in our network. So please sign up. You'll always get free information from us there on trends. Just wrote something about AI recently and using it to teach language proficiency. Does it work or not? How do we use it? Um, Always sharing free things there. We also offer online courses there on the site on demand, as well as synchronous offerings outside of schools that we work with directly. If you'd like to purchase the book directly, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere that books are sold. There will be an ebook and an audiobook coming out later in 2023. Ooh. Stay tuned Ooh. for that. Well. Very exciting. Well, mm-hmm. that's amazing. We will link that in the show notes, both the book and where they can get more information, sign up for your email. Um, and also if they want to reach out. So if you're listening and you're like, wow, we want Sarah and her team <laughs> to come to our school and help with this, reach out and connect with her because she's such a great asset. So Sarah, thank you so much for your time. This was such a pleasure and honor to get to talk to you today. It was really exciting. Thanks so much, Beth. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.